You're listening to Seattle Real Estate Podcast. So a couple of the big topics that we talk about here on the Seattle Real Estate Podcast a lot, homelessness, because that has impacted so many communities in the Seattle area, and rising crime. That's impacted communities all over the United States. Those are two like big, big topics. Today, we're going to go take a look and see what Texas is doing. Don't mess with Texas. What is Texas doing with the homeless encampment issue? Governor Abbott signs bill banning homeless encampments on public land in Texas. Just boom. All right, here's what we're doing. This is how we're handling it. That's what we're going to jump into today. Before we do, if you're new here, my name is Sean Reynolds. I own a couple of real estate companies and I read the news, but hopefully you want to hear. And before we get into it, I've been reminded by a bunch of viewers and listeners, um, mainly on the YouTube channel, hey, hit that notification bell because YouTube, all my subscribers have been unnotified. Not really sure why, and you can imagine, but it's a thing. So if you're new, love to have you subscribe. And if you're old, an old subscriber, a however you want to say that, hit that notification bell. Thank you so much. And share the content, all that other good stuff. All right, let's jump on into this before I just chit chat this entire podcast away. So Governor Greg Abbott has signed into law a bill that bans homeless encampments on public property in Texas. The bill makes it illegal to set up shelter or store belongings for an extended period of time. I wonder how long that is. Like how long is an extended period of time? Like day, couple of days. The uh, the offense is a class C misdemeanor, punishable by a fine of up to $500. The bill also makes it illegal for cities to adopt policies that effectively legalize public encampments as Austin did in 2019. So the governor is basically just saying, you know what? Here's our standards for homelessness. If you've been here for a long time, you might be subject to a fine. Now, somebody that's homeless, the argument there is that they don't have $500 and it unfairly you know, persecutes them for not having a home. Should it be a crime to be homeless? There also has to be some kind of guidelines for what is acceptable and isn't acceptable. And as we get into this, Texas is handling this a lot like a lot of the other city or states and cities are. First, you got to get people services, you got to get people into shelters, all that stuff. But their basic, um, uh, their, their common denominator here is that, yeah, in our public areas, that's a no go. Because otherwise, you end up looking like Portland or certain areas of Seattle. And that's not a good look either. Abbott has been a staunch critic of the Austin City Council's decision to roll back criminal penalties for behavior related to homelessness. If there's no penalties, people are just going to do it. Because otherwise, it's kind of like a guideline. It's kind of like when the CDC says, oh, you got to wear a mask as a guideline, and then everybody just adopts it. Ah, it's the law. I went to the dump in Seattle, the transfer station, I guess we're supposed to say now. I still call it the dump because it's where you dump crap out of your car. In Seattle, I went to transfer station in Seattle over the weekend. I usually do it here on the east side and my residence in in Bellevue. And um, we haven't had to wear the mask at the transfer station here in Bellevue. Had to wear the mask yesterday, July the 11th in a transfer station, which is basically outside. It was weird and yet so Seattle-ish. You're like, okay, whatever. Just let me in and let me dump my stuff. 
In May, Austinites voted to reinstate bans on public camping, as well as limitations on panhandling and where people can rest in public. The measure, Proposition B, received financial backing from the Travis County GOP and Abbott's campaign. The new state law requires law enforcement officers to make reasonable efforts to direct Texans towards medical or mental health services and shelters before ticketing them. So what do you, how are you going to enforce the ticketing? I guess you just you write out a ticket. It's like any other ticket. If somebody can't pay it, eventually they'll go to jail if they've got too many outstanding. But do we have the bandwidth to be, you know, putting people in jail for homelessness? I don't think so. Um, nor do we really want to be doing that. But if you're going to have a law in the books, it's got to have some teeth. And that's that's the what this is the way I see it. Because otherwise, literally, it just becomes a well, that's kind of a recommendation. <laughs> Nobody's enforcing it. Let's go. So opponents pointed out that the bill doesn't provide funding for resources to help with these efforts. But state lawmakers did set aside one or $12.5 million annually in the state's two year budget for health programs to assess uh, assist people who are homeless. So like we've talked about so many times here on the Seattle Real Estate Podcast, two of the main driving factors, it seems like, are you know drug addiction, some kind of addiction, alcohol, who knows, whatever it is, whatever your drug of choice, right? And then mental health issues, you're, we've emptied out so many of what used to be our mental health care facilities, we just, yeah, yeah, let everybody go and send them on their merry way. We don't want to you know, we don't want to incarcerate you without, you know, due cause, uh, even though you're crazy, and then those crazy people end up out on the streets. So between those two issues, I think you 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 do cover a lot, but you also don't cover kind of the third category that I see is people who just want to live the lifestyle of living in a tent outside somewhere, kind of beyond the bounds of normal society, and basically get a complete free ride because there are so many services, wraparound services, as they're termed, to help them out. I mean, that's a free ride. And that's kind of the third category that I see where these laws kind of come into effect because these are people, and, and you'll oftentimes see them breaking their tents down on video if you watch enough video. And they're like kind of pissed off and they're reluctant to be doing what they're doing because they don't want to do it. And they kind of sort through their garbage and most all of it's just garbage, stuff that they've accumulated. And because the CDC said no sweeps during the whole pandemic thing, and we're kind of on the tail end of that and cities are doing sweeps now and everybody's getting all worked up. But it's something that we knew was temporary anyway you know, homeless encampments and parks and whatnot, those were temporary solutions for, you know, the whole coronavirus thing. Hey, if you sweep a camp, you're going to spread those people around and we don't want the Rona spreading. So that's where we've been. But now we're at that point where we're seeing a lot of these folks who are being swept out and, and they're kind of like, yeah, we knew this wasn't a long-term thing, but man, it was a good ride while we had it. And then I think the other side is people often state, if you can't have stabilized housing, how can you get the help you need? I mean, there's just so many different facets to this whole conundrum of what do you do with all of these people who are homeless? And so many of them just seem like they're nuts. 
Some aren't, obviously, some aren't, and some are just down on their luck and having a tough time. What are the solutions there? Um, you know, there's a ton of state programs for people to get help. And right now, a lot of the help that I'm seeing in the videos and conversations I have, it's been federal funding, short term federal funding, uh, federal dollars being spent by the states and the cities to get people into shelter. What happens when that federal funding runs out? This isn't really a permanent solution. Some cities like Seattle have done things such as uh, buying hotels. So I looked at the locations of the hotels and um, and I looked with one of my sons who's a real estate appraiser. and He's also a licensed broker and he's lived in a number of the neighborhoods where the hotels are. One of the hotels that King County recently just bought for Seattle was uh, on Lower Queen Anne. So think of kind of where the uh, Space Needle is. It's a little bit further to the west from there. It's kind of the downtown-ish area. But they bought, I think, uh, the inn at Queen Anne was the name. And um, it's kind of in an area where there's a lot of commercial stuff, a lot of crossover stuff. Definitely not zone single family. Let's put it that way, right? But that one made kind of sense. But then I wonder about those neighborhoods, what will happen when you've got an entire hotel or, or, you know, whatever it is building that's been converted into 100% homelessness? Um, what happens there? Does the crime rate go up there? What issues do you have when you basically just take an area and dedicate it to, you know, homeless, not encampment, but temporary housing for those folks, because we can't afford to keep them in a hotel forever. Um, they got to move along. But this is kind of these are the solutions we've got right now. And it just seems so crazy. Maybe back in the day, maybe back when I was younger, maybe when you were younger, I don't know. Um, it just didn't seem like we had this. It, it, it's always been an issue, but it just hasn't been this big of an issue. And is it because of the, you know, affordable housing issue? I don't know. I don't, I don't see that many folks who are homeless or experiencing homelessness. I don't see them indicating, Hey, I couldn't afford my rent. I had a job and I had all that good stuff going on, but I couldn't afford my rent. There's always some other major issue that came up that just kind of blew their lives apart. And from a mental standpoint, it seems like, or, you know, maybe it's just chemical addiction. Um, you see an awful lot of that, right? And maybe maybe they got there after they became homeless. It's hard to say. And everybody's got a different story. But a lot of these stories do fall into the category of, you know, mental health care issues, and substance abuse. And then you've got other folks who are just like, yeah, this is kind of how I like it. And this is where I want to be. And this is what I'm going to do. So the law in Texas also limits cities from using parkland for temporary encampments. I'm okay with that. I wish Seattle would do that. Because the whole the whole thing was parks are supposed to be there to be enjoyed by all not just a group of people living in there. It makes you uncomfortable to go there. And um, it basically turns that use upside down. And as a real estate guy, I'm not on board with that. So that provision, the using parkland for temporary encampments, that provision was added by Lakeway Republican State Senator Don Buckingham, less than 24 hours after the Austin City Council had discussed potential city owned sites for encampments. Where where do the encampments go? Because you're literally just moving, you know, when you do a sweep, 
those people got to go somewhere, right? So I know right now we're trying to get them into the temporary housing, get them into a hotel. Oftentimes, if you watch enough uh, Venice videos, the sweeps are happening there right now. And sometimes I, I read last week that one of the sweeps throughout the entire day, they got like two tents, you know, uh, taken care of those residents, uh, unhoused people, they got them into hotels. But it just took that long to deal with two people who basically didn't want to go. It's like, man, you in the amount of city staff that they're standing around, they've got dump trucks. You know, it's just an arduous process. Because you can't have people living on the boardwalk. Well, you've got businesses going and people wanting to enjoy that area. You've got tourism coming back, not trying to sweep the homeless under the rug, but you can't have people in that environment either. So it's it's kind of this, it's a mess, right? So city staff had offered a list of 45 potential campsites, but was met with pushback citywide. Earlier this month, Austin Parks and Recreation staff found only one site would be legally allowed if the statewide ban passed. All right. Yeah, you got to keep going and you got to keep figuring it out. Um, Easy for me to say, right? I'm sitting here doing a podcast. Here's the second article that I'm going to be taking a look at. And this is what Everett, Everett is a city here in the Seattle area, just to the north. It's in Snohomish County, pretty big area. Um, It's an older kind of a historic town. It's it's a little bit of a rougher town than Seattle, if if you can believe that. It's, um, It's a port, the Everett port. We've got a lot, there used to be a lot, ton of logging, a lot of shipping. Um, think more blue collar than white collar of Seattle. How's that? A setup for failure. Everett's no sit, no lie ordinance is unpopular with residents and homeless advocates. This makes you think that it's terrible all the way around. But this is also an ordinance that a city is putting in place because the situation has gotten so bad and so out of control. That's kind of the theme today is what are, what are governments, you know, local and state? What are they doing? Well, these are a couple of examples. Um, homeless advocates said the ordinance only succeeded in moving encampments to different parts of the city. They're just kicking the problem down the road. Okay, but as as businesses come back, as employers want to bring their employees back, as customers want to go back into these downtown areas, you got to do something because that's kind of first and foremost, what's what's happening right now. The homeless encampments, those have been there throughout the pandemic. And unfortunately, it's transition time. But where do they go? Now, a lot of them are going into hotels right now, right? Or dedicated spaces that you know cities have, have set up. A group of about a dozen homeless people was forced to move from a large encampment on Everett's Smith Avenue to a sidewalk along Wilmington Avenue this week. Camp residents faced 90 days in jail and $500 fines if they stayed. I so rarely hear a story about where somebody gets actually handed a fine or actually does jail time for being homeless. I that just I don't think that's going to happen, especially not in today's environment, right? 
Uh, if, but if you guys see a story along those lines, send it to me, Sean, S-E-A-N at Seattle Real Estate Podcast.com. That's the best place to get uh, email to me with storylines. And I love getting storylines because it kind of helps me understand what you guys are seeing and what you're thinking and what you'd like to, to have uh, as a topic here. So Monty Rubel, who was homeless for four years, said it was a no-win situation. And that's probably what I should have said earlier is this is a no-win situation. But you've got the storyline of we're emerging from the pandemic, we're opening up. And so some of the stuff that happened during the pandemic that people were really not pleased about, that's being worked on. We're kind of working our way through that. And a lot of that is, what do you do with these homeless encampments that are in the downtown cores? It's a setup for failure. The law is absurd. It's a set up for backfire, Rubel said. After repeated complaints from businesses along Smith Avenue, the city passed a no-sit, no-lie law that prohibits people from sitting or lying down on a sidewalk within a 10-block area of the Smith Avenue site. This area had become just horrendous for, for that kind of stuff. Except for a few holdouts, the large encampment had been on Smith Avenue is gone. The site had been growing larger and larger over the past five years, and then it just exploded during the pandemic. Homeless advocates predicted shutting the site down would be a mistake when the city council was debating the issue earlier this year. That's a lot of what happens is they, they just debate, they think about it, they talk about it, they can't really come to a solution. How about down in Venice where the that um, uh, that sheriff, you know, new sheriff in town, that sheriff, uh, Californian sheriff in, uh, in Vegas, in, in Venice, not Vegas, that's not in California. He basically went in and said, we're cleaning clock. We're going to clean this situation up. Here's what we're doing. And he never had to do that because the city council member who was his responsibility to take care of that district, he all of a sudden miraculously started doing sweeps. It's a miracle. It's a damn miracle. He got shamed into cleaning up his own backyard. That's what happened. And of course, he did it the exact same way the sheriff was going to do it. And the sheriff basically said, hey, we're going to offer these people housing. We're going to get them the help they need, get them the services they need. But we are going to clean it up. And Mike Bonin, he's the council member down there in uh, California. He, he, you know, he had this total spin on it. Bottom line, they do the sweep the same exact way anybody else does. They bring in city workers, they bring in police, they bring in, you know, the flotilla of social workers that can handle all the situations, but they clear it out that at the end of the day, they clear it out. So I thought it was pretty entertaining when the sheriff kind of just said, all right, here's it's go time. He didn't, he didn't make any friends doing that. But he also, I think, put the council member responsible, Bonin, responsible on the hot seat, kind of embarrassing. Hey, this is what we're doing. We're not really asking you. We're telling you. And then Bonin just scrambled around. Oh, okay, we got to do something now. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go do it in a, you know, whatever way, in a respectful way. And it's not like the sheriff is saying, hey, I, I am really hoping to get my quota of 10 people into jail tonight. You know, 10 people that have been homeless. I'm really hoping to throw them in jail. Never said that. Um, but he did. 
He did promise that he was going to do something. And that is more than most folks can say. Because here we're talking about homeless advocates predicted shutting the site down would be a mistake when the city council was debating the issue earlier this year. A lot of debate and no action is kind of the way I see it. And so when I do see a story of, you know, uh, a governmental entity taking action, I'm like, okay, let's talk about that. That's why that's what we're doing right now, right? So they argued no alternatives were being given to the homeless when they left Smith Avenue. Now about 80 people are spread out over approximately 15 smaller camps. They're just kicking the problem down the road, said Penelope uh, Prothero, organizer of Everett's Angel Resource Connection, as she handed out food and clothing to the homeless at their new camp. Instead of staying there and solving the problem, they're pushing it to other neighborhoods and having other neighbors wake up and deal with the problem themselves, she said. So Chris Madison is one of those neighbors. The Wilmington camp is essentially in his backyard now. Madison moved into the home to take care of his 88-year-old mother. When I have homeless people coming into my dr driveway and asking for water, when my neighbor tells me there's a homeless person sleeping in his yard, that's trouble, he said. I have nothing against the homeless. Just don't turn my neighborhood into a dump. He, it's absolutely frustrating. So, you know, there's a good example of not in my backyard, which, you know what? I'm going to say, I don't want it in my backyard either. You probably don't want it in your backyard either. You want your city leadership to handle the issue, however that gets handled, right? The ordinance was tied to the $1 million construction project of 20 tiny homes directly behind the Everett Gospel Mission. It can house up to 30 people. So from my understanding, the so the construction of this process has been ongoing, and now we've got this law enacted. And it's one of those things where if they don't have housing for somebody, they're not going to sweep them out if they can't get them into housing. But it seems to me that there's always housing available. They've always got housing somewhere available. And oftentimes, these people just don't take it because they don't want to deal with the restrictions in the housing. So no win situation, right? I mean, it's just, it's tricky. And then you've got people who just aren't able to make a mental decision that's in their best interest. They just don't have those capacities. And what do we do for those people? I don't know. I don't have, I don't have all the solutions. It's, it's, it's a tough go, right? As of Friday, 16 people had already moved in during the project's first three days. This is a great start, and we understand there's still lots of work to do, said city spokesperson Julio Cortez. Additional shelter and housing opportunities for this population is still greatly needed, not only to support those in our community experiencing homelessness, but also to respond to the concerns of our businesses and residents who are also affected by those living without housing. And that's where I kind of jump in as, as a small business owner. Um, throughout the pandemic, watching these businesses basically just um, have one challenge after another after another, and then homeless encampments right outside of their business. I mean, and don't sweep those camps. Now we're sweeping them. But during the whole pandemic, your business may or not have been open to begin with. And then when you got a tent outside your door, and now in the city of Seattle, as long as your tent is 11 feet away from the said door, you're okay. You're golden. 10 feet, mm, that's too close. 9 feet, definite no-go. 11 feet, though, yeah, you can pitch your tent literally on the sidewalk.
But as for complaints that the city ordinance has simply spread the problem to different neighborhoods, Cortez responded in a written statement, the no sit, no lie ordinance has not been enforced yet, as we see this as an education period. Our practice remains the same. We continue outreach in multiple parts of the city in an effort to make contact and provide support services and information to homeless individuals. All right. It's about the same everywhere, right? I mean, this is just how you get this ball going. We are asking for the public to be patient and understand that it'll take some time to house individuals and offer them additional services. Okay. It's a, it's such a tricky story, isn't it? I mean, and there's some people who send in comments like, yeah, they're just hardcore. And um, I don't, I don't mean to sound like a marshmallow either. Ah, just give everybody housing, we should all have housing. It's a God given right. Um, I don't necessarily think that. But I also think there are a lot of people on the streets who aren't able to make decisions, you know, mentally from one for one reason or another. And that's where services need to step in and kind of help these folks. And that's the long term solution that I see kind of lacking because you just put somebody in a in a in housing, get a roof over their head, their problems go away. No, they're still there. The root causes of whatever got them onto the street in the first place, those are still there. Whether you have a roof over your head, those, you know, it, certainly it's easier for these folks to deal with their problems with a roof over their head. And hopefully some of the folks that are getting into hotels and the other housing that's out there, you know, are on their way to better lives. But I think, you know, hardcore, I think a lot of the times that is wishful thinking. And so that's why you've got to have laws like this to, to protect cities and to protect all the other residents of the cities who are paying their taxes, want to enjoy their parks, do all that good stuff. So it's a tricky one. Um, and I, I, I sit on both sides of the fences on this one. I rail a lot on the fact that city leadership hasn't cleared out, you know, downtown cores. And then that's because the businesses are hopefully headed on their way back. If they're not out of business, I was watching uh, a YouTube video on um, New York and the guy was just walking around showing all the closed up storefronts in his little section. It was a lot of businesses just done. But New York City, I mean, it really got walloped during the uh, pandemic, didn't it? Just just crazy. So that's it for me on this one. Um, yeah, don't mess with Texas. They've got stuff going on. And even small cities here in uh, the Seattle area, they're enforcing a no sit, no lie within a 10 block radius of this one area that's just really bad. So that, as opposed to what's going on in Seattle, which is kind of like, well, we're not making it legal anywhere. And we'll hope to get you into some housing. But in the meantime, we got to do some sweeps. That's kind of literally where we're at. No real solutions, but doing some sweeps just like down in Venice. And uh, in an LA, man, no long-term solutions. Just a lot of problems. It's kind of what's out there though, right? All right. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for being part of the Seattle Real Estate Podcast. Much appreciated. I've got a couple more topics. Zoning, that seems to be one, a hot topic. A lot of folks are talking about zoning, talking about taking single family neighborhoods and, you know, rife with apartment complexes. I don't know. We're just going to have to keep an eye on this one. Thanks for being here. We'll catch up soon. Talk to you then. Bye. 
forget to subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell so you'll know when our next video is out.